systematizing everything so that we know what the steps are when we get on board a new owner, whether mm-hmm. it's a single family or it's a hundred units, you know, a lot of the steps are the same. And the major difference for us on that is going to be how many units we have to put into our property management system at the end of the day, right? Because getting all the owner's information, getting that in, getting it right so that we can, you know, track their 1099 information. We can distribute funds quickly to the right account. Just all those steps that you might not think about, but need to be done right so that the owner has a good experience. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Five Talents Podcast. I'm your host, Abel Pacheco. I interview the top commercial real estate investors and industry experts so you can learn from their experiences. So if you're an investor, a high W-2 earner or real estate or tech sales professional that wants to invest in real estate without having to manage properties or leave your day job, then this podcast is for you. Or if you're already investing in real estate, but you're doing it part-time and you want to become a full-time multifamily or full-time commercial real estate investor, this podcast is for you too. You're going to learn a ton. You will learn from real-life multifamily investors and other professionals in the industry. They're going to share their blueprints for success. And I'm super excited that you're here. So I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, hello. This is Abel Pacheco, your host for the Five Talents Podcast. We are very humbled and appreciative today. I have one of my friends, one of my good buddies, Mr. Colin Douthit, available for us today. He's coming from a new perspective than I think a lot of conversations we've had to this point. So if you are an active investor, a general partner, you're going to want to listen to this because it will give you some great insight on property management, how to choose one, you know, how to get the best out of them, how to make the most profit. It's really, you know, it's a partnership, right? So that's part of it. And then if you're a limited partner or a passive investor, trying to understand a little bit more about the syndication world, this is going to be a good show too, because you want to know more about the property management side yourself so that you can ask your operator, your syndicator, the person you're investing with. You want to be able to ask them great questions about their property management choices as well. So on either case, it's going to be a a great conversation. And so Colin, first of all, thank you. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Abel. I'm excited to have this chat with you. Yeah. I connected with Colin earlier this year. We joined a mastermind, a Christian real estate mastermind, just a great you know, individual and servant. And I love the professional side of him too. He's just, I mean, an outstanding individual character and you guys are going to be a tr- in, in for a treat. So Colin, your background, you have three engineering degrees, you're a professional mm-hmm. engineer. You started as an investor first. So you were, you were buying just like us and then you ended up, hey, Mo, let me start a property management company. And now you own a property management company and a construction company, and you just crushed your goals. During COVID, when a lot of people were kind of you know, going back or retreating, in fact, you went a little the opposite, 6X times <laughs> what some of your goals were. So let me turn it over to you. Please give us a good introduction. Tell us you know, a little bit about your background and story. And man, we'll just have a great conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, engineering by trade. You know, became a professional engineer, went into that world, more got into the construction side of things as a project manager for construction companies, doing some estimating. As it turns out, a lot of us that have that entrepreneurial bug, we aren't necessarily the best employees. And uh, that was probably true of me as well. After getting let go a couple times, after the second time happened, I had uh, recently acquired or was under contract on my first apartment building, a seven unit one. 
And so we went ahead and closed on that. And pretty much I'd been, you know, angling towards real estate for a while. I'd spent, you know, a year, 18 months starting to get queued up for it. But you know what? I'm just going to go down this path. I don't want to mess with going back to the corporate world. I don't want to try being an employee again because I wanted to, you know, be my own boss. And, you know, like a lot of us do, you know, while you guys are syndicating, starting companies, you know, owning, you know, your portfolio of single family homes, whatever it is that provides you that income, you know, don't want to be employees. So started down that path with my investments and working with some partners. We got up to about 60 doors in uh, 18 to 24 months and which really blew it up. And I started to have to become a property manager. And but I was I was everything right. I, I got some software. I got Buildium, started managing properties that way. And I was doing the showings. I was the guy collecting rent. I was scheduling maintenance. Oh. Sometimes I was doing maintenance, especially really early on when it was just my own properties. And I was doing it all. And actually Six, looked 60 units, like seven units, 10 units, five units. The, uh, like what was the range of those 60? The ones that were yours are the first. first. Yeah. Portion. I mean, so it went anywhere from the seven unit. Then we ended up, you know, buying a couple packages of single family homes from people wanting to get out of the game. Okay. Okay. So getting together with some partners, taking down 15 or 16, 16 or 17. I ended up getting a really, really rundown set of six duplexes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, that we've done a huge reposition on and then picking up the odd single family here. A couple of nice mobile homes as well. That's another, nice. you know, another interesting niche to get into as well. Uh, so just started building the portfolio that way. And yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And I see the Kansas City Chiefs champions flag in the in your background. So I yes. know you're from the Kansas City and I can see you on video. But for those that didn't quite hear on the po- or can't see on the podcast, big Kansas City, this all this is is Kansas City or yeah, surrounding City, areas or yeah, in the surrounding areas, about an hour radius. We actively manage a lot of stuff in Kansas City and in the surrounding suburbs. Yeah. I actually live out uh, outside of Kansas City in a smaller town of about 5,000, a rural town out in the country. By choice, I was actually raised more in the suburbs and you know, actually started investing out in some of these rural communities, which is just a little bit right different on. market. It was in my backyard, yeah. and that's how yeah. I got that first one, actually. I drove by it one day and had a for sale by owner sign on it. And I was like, oh, I'm going to make the call. Check it out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So made the call, negotiated some owner financing and we were good to go. The true entrepreneur, right? You know, let let me go get my hands dirty and get it done myself. I love it. Well, so I'm sorry to throw you off your, you know, you're going over your back story, but I just wanted to kind of get a good idea. So the 60 units, those were, you're a part owner in it and you had to manage it yourself. Like you mm-hmm. said, you were you were doing all the work and that's like spread out between an hour in any direction of any of those properties. So that yeah, got pretty, I mean, pretty hairy. Pretty early pretty on, we were concentrated in our geographic, but yes, still from my hometown, you know, there was, there was a, you know, a 30, 45 minute reach into some other, those smaller markets as well. And then we started getting a couple in the city as well. Got it. So yeah, yeah, continue on, man. What happens next? (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, I was talking to some, some other people that I respect in the industry and I was like, you know, I'm thinking maybe I should start a property management company. You know, I'm already doing all the stuff. I'm already scheduling maintenance. You know, I'm starting to have some temporary office help, you know, a couple hours a week. Maybe we should try to scale this up. And they said, well, Hey, I know a guy who's thinking about selling. Why don't you talk to him? And so I start talking to him, start looking into financials. You know, we start negotiating down that business acquisition road. And as I learned, when you go down that road, the actual amount of transactions to get across the finish line is much smaller. 
than the ones that start, uh, which was new to me. This is my first time ever looking at that. So we didn't get it across the finish line. We got through you know, negotiating terms and, you know, LOI, but didn't make it past that, unfortunately. But mm-hmm. so a little bit of a chip, but on my shoulder that that didn't happen, but also saw the opportunity in property management. I was like, let's turn this up. Like, let's go full tilt. So we got everything in place that we needed to be our own PM company and just open it up full throttle from there. Yeah, that's awesome. And now you're, you went from 60 to a hundred to now you're at. We're at 600 as of today in the early December. And, and the beginning of the year, 2020, you were at how many doors? About 125. Okay. So you went from 125 to 600. Yeah. And it's, you know, a little under 40 million bucks worth of properties, estimated average kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's about $40 million worth of properties that we're, we're, we're managing, which is really exciting. We're just continuing to build our pipeline, knowing that we've got another, uh, across another couple of transactions coming uh, before the end of this year, probably another 30, or excuse me, not 30, um, about 200 doors coming. Oh, that's great. This year. So it's it's been really exciting. Man, what a great run. What a great opportunity that you capitalized on. You seized and you're like, well, I'm already doing it today. Let me just keep rolling. And yeah. so now the acquisitions for you, it's very different because you're you're not the owner, but every time a new owner asks you for help and you say, yes, your business grows. Mm-hmm. So tell us about this, you know, the mindset where I think most of the syndicators, operators, folks like myself, I go, I don't want to do any of that property manager. I hire a property manager uh-huh. and I'm not going to get out there and do this, do the hard work. Well, you're doing the hard work, man. So give us any insights and just your paradigm, how you view things and and kind of why. And, and then, you know, let's talk about the growth next. Yeah, absolutely. So the why is because I had the experience in it, but now I've, you know, it was small when I started, but now the experience is, is, is much larger uh, and my knowledge base in the property management world is much larger, just the same way with syndicators, right? At some point you had never syndicated your first deal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I looked at the opportunities and said, okay, do I want to work on syndicating or do I want to work on property management? And I chose to focus on property management, you know, because I saw an opportunity there and I was already had momentum going down that direction. I was either going to have to build out an internal team to do it and just manage the stuff that I was possibly going to syndicate, et cetera, or, you know, totally pivot and and just stay down the property management route. And that was, you know, that was kind of the decision I made. I saw an opportunity there. Also saw it, is it a way to build this business up to generate funds to then invest in in real estate in the future to continue to invest and build up my capital reserves again? Yeah. You gain the expertise, you understand it yourself. You know all the things to look for in properties or how to run them. You're yeah. gaining active capital. You're building a business, the value of your business, active capital. And then, oh, it's a good, you know, you stay in the full-time commercial real estate kind of vein actively. And then now, you know, investing passively or actively, you've, you've got more options at this point in, in yeah. the world, man. So that's, that's awesome. Okay. Well, great. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a, it's been a good decision and, you know, we're looking forward to the, you know, continue to go to the next step. But when we, uh, I have a partner in the property management company, but when we're able to start, uh, you know, redirecting property management, you know, income back into investments to, you know, continue to grow our portfolio. All right. Well, let's break into like this property management stuff, man. So we have a number of guests, like I said, that are active and passive, right? So maybe you can take that frame of, of mind as we kind of go down this next yeah. you know series of questions. And it's really just like 
man, what the heck do I need to know about hiring a property manager? Like questions to ask, good interview. You know, what, what should I be thinking about? You know, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, buy my set assets that are hundred plus units, but you know, I also ban every once in a while, I'll see a 30 unit and, and I'm scared to get into a smaller deal because mm-hmm. I go, well, how can I actually manage this effectively? And, you know, uh, you know, all these things kind of come into mind. So let's take these, let's peel this onion back a little <laughs> bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, so from a property management perspective, you know, mm-hmm. we're, you know, get ready to take on, like I said, 171 unit complex at the end of this month. At the same time, you know, we've got single family houses that we still manage, you know, duplexes, somebody's buying a fourplex that's coming online here soon. Like we see, see the gamut and, you know, property managers, you know, can service a lot of different types of assets. There's a lot of similarities in the workflow of managing a single family home as managing a hundred unit complex, right? Because, you know, all the legal stuff still applies, all of the processes, all the leasing, all of the fair housing on our side, those all still apply. So that doesn't change too much. You know, you can gain some efficiencies and having, you know, a pulse on your property if it's large enough to warrant an on-site manager. You know, you gain efficiencies by, okay, maybe we don't have to bring in an external leasing agent or we can identify, you know, issues faster with a problem tenant or a problem maintenance issue because we have eyes on site. We're not waiting for somebody to report it to us so that you can pick up some of those efficiencies as well. But typically as well, having on-site management, you know, from what we see, at least from what our pro formas, T12s that we see as we're helping our investors analyze deals is, Sometimes people are paying a lot more for on-site management than they would for off-site or other property management companies are just really getting a good deal with how much they're charging for on-site management. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because in the 100 plus unit syndication, Texas, San Antonio, Texas, we do Mm -hmm. a few deals where we're plugging in in our underwriting because you mentioned that we're plugging in like 1,000 to 1,100, maybe 12, 1,300 if we want to be conservative per unit for on-site staffing, right? And so we just plug this number in. But I know that on a smaller unit or smaller property, we're kind of removing some of the the headcount, but just ramping up instead of charging three or or 4% to the underwriting for the property management fees, we're like ramp it up to like 10%, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's the the whole part where like we're leaning towards you, somebody like you're an expertise to say, hey, this is going to make the most sense. Yeah. And so anyways, on that aspect, how do I choose or select the best property manager for any, any property I go after, mm-hmm. whether it's 12 units or a hundred, is there a general guideline interview process? You know, how, how do I, <laughs> how do I approach this thing? I've been the interviewee, I guess, a lot yeah, on the property yeah. management side from a lot of potential investors who are, are now customers. Mm-hmm. And it really depends on what you're looking for out of your property manager. Right. So one of the reasons that my partner and I work hard at this game, and frankly, my team as well, is that we have a lot of professionals on on our staff. So my partner and I both went to school together, we're both PEs, and we have a you know former accountant that's a property manager. We have somebody that used to service billion dollar loan portfolios, you know, that's into the property management supervisor role. She was a PM for us for a while. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have a professional staff. We want to, you know, elevate and make property management a professional industry because it's it's an industry that gets a bad rap a lot of times, right? So you're getting ripped off. You're not getting communicated with. It's a mom and pop operation that has a hundred doors and, you know, they're doing tracking everything on paper. You know, the most recent thing I 
I ran into, I guess it was a few months ago now, and when we took over a property, there was a manager that was bumping kind of on-site, quote unquote, between a couple of different properties that this owner owned. They were doing no online advertising and they were putting out ads in the newspaper is how they were hosting open houses for this property. And I'm just like, that's not quite with the times. So if you're you know, working with a property manager that's going to try to leverage technology to hopefully increase your occupancy, decrease the vacancy time, increase your collections, you know, they can be there. I'm not saying that somebody that doesn't do technology isn't going to have a successful property management company. And frankly, there was successful property managers for however long before online platforms came available. Mm-hmm. But, you know, with the society that we live in right now, you know, that's the best way to get a hold of the tenants, to get into their life, to remind them to pay rent, to get them to report maintenance calls quickly is leveraging that technology. So if I were shopping, I would want to work with a property management company that was leveraging some sort of technology platform, working with their tenants and you know discuss communications with them. Yeah. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Real-time analysis or near real-time analysis for you guys means better reporting and kind of better, you know, up to the date metrics or data points that you're going to feed back to the owners and the owners can say, oh yeah, this is how to make the decision. This is what what we want to do. Good Mm -hmm. asset manager and a good property manager. Those are the two, you know, individuals or teams or organizations within these bigger deals that were like, oh man, that moves the needle 100%, make it or break it for our asset, right? Yeah, 110%. And we leverage it internally. You know, we have weekly meetings and there's metrics that we track for our PMs, performance metrics. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're able to pull those off on a weekly basis from the software and get those, to get the data really quickly. And -hmm. that's really nice. And, you know, what gets tracked gets done or gets improved. So we've started tracking these metrics and we've seen, you know, you know, improvement and across all those fields. Yeah. What from the property management standpoint, the interview, the questions that I should be asking, taking it from the property management side, what should I as an owner be looking to you as the property manager? What should I be looking to you to do for me? Or what expectations should I have of you? And, you know, let's start, let me, one one question at a time. Yeah. So, So you should be looking to the property manager to if it's in line with your goals, maintain the current financial status of the property or improvement, right? So they should come in with ideas on how to improve the property, right? Hopefully not all those ideas involve spending your money. Mm -hmm. Now, if we all know that it's a big reposition property and there's going to have to be a couple hundred thousand dollars to a million dollars worth of construction, we know that's going to happen. But how can we take an asset that's run pretty tightly and doing okay? And how can we add value you know, a couple thousand dollars a month here or there, or, you know, we look at the annual cash flow that's generated and put that at whatever cap rate and add another million dollars of value to the property. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how is your property manager going to help you? How are they going to come in day one to try to benefit? So like, that's something that I would be asking, like, how are you going to make this property better? What's your, what's your plan for this? I think that would be really important. Yeah. Gotcha. And then the difference between books, accounting, where the line draws between the property, you know, the key performance indicators mm-hmm. and construction management. Do, is it included? Is it not? You know, all of these kind of factors kind of give us some insight to, you know, to this this side of the house. Yeah. So we work with a number of syndicators, all you know, most out of state, and, you know, they all want different metrics reported. But generally, you know, the high level ones that we track for them is, you know, 
what was your average rent per door when we took over management or when you acquired it? And what is it now? You know, what was your global cash flow? You know, your gross rents then, what are your gross rents now? So those are some of the ones that we look at that are, and then, you know, obviously tracking vacancy and stuff. That's all, that's all pretty, you know, logical stuff there. But those are some of the metrics that I dive into to track you know, the value that we've been adding. Because if mm-hmm. we're going through repositions, uh, which we do a handful of times, you know, people always want to value add. And I do too, frankly. So, you know, people want to value add. So we go through those repositions. So we'll track vacancies. But the vacancy number we know, if we've got, we took over property and it's got 10, 15, 20% vacancies and we took over and we know that we're going to be doing rehabbing all those units. We don't get too wrapped up in the vacancy initially because we know that's part of the plan is to have those vacancies, rehab them, put new tenants in there, get old tenants out, rehab those units and get the rents up. So really just tracking the average average rent per door has been a big metric for us. Yeah, gotcha. And then how should I be thinking about you guys as a property manager, partners in, in I mean, success. We have to have success together. Your success yes. is my success. Uh, how do I find that in the right property manager? How do, how do I find somebody like you that I know is, passionate about doing what we're doing and, you know, just making sure that the right, the right team. I would say referrals at that point, you know, I mean, you can interview people as well, you know, get some ideas from them, figure out how they're going to, you know, manage the whole big picture, how they're going to manage the the construction, right? That was another one that you asked on, you just mentioned was, how do you handle that, that construction? Does it get marked up? Who's managing that construction? We have a sister company and we're Atlas Property Management, Atlas Construction and Office as well. So, you know, Atlas Property Management's not managing the construction. Atlas Construction is, but we're not marking that up. I know some PMs will manage a you know project manage a job for you in the subs, and they're going to mark that all up. And that might be a great fit for the situation that you're in. I know of some firms here locally that do that and do a great job at that. And you know, but then the question is, do you want to pay that extra markup on top of the general contractor's markup? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, trying to figure out, are you the easy button and how much is it going to cost me or figure out a way to get it done at a different cost. And, you know, that this all comes down to like your expertise too, right? Is this something that you're going to take on that you absolutely know you're going to do well at and versus, nah, this is not my area of expertise and you're going to tell it. So when do you personally, when do you tell somebody like, I'm going to pass on this project or when do you tell somebody, no, this is ideal, for me mm-hmm. and I will crush it. Give us an idea of, of your perspective. Yeah. So, you know, we've looked at a lot of projects recently and we have PMs that have different specialties that I would say this property manager is a good fit for this, right? So mm-hmm. market rate tenants, we have some PMs that are great with market rate tenants. We have some that are great at taking properties that are in really bad spot and repositioning them, right? We have a couple yeah. PMs that just specialize in vouchers. So, you know, figuring out they've got, you know, if, you know, the property that's getting brought to us is within the niche where we have the staff that could support it, right? At this point, we don't have the staff or the capabilities to take on, let's say, a large LIHTC property, right? Mm -hmm. We've looked at them. We know that there's a whole lot more accounting work that's going to go into them. And frankly, most, from what I've seen, most LIHTC operators self-manage because of the accounting requirements and the, the large overhead expense. Yeah. The LIHTC for those that don't or didn't get that, the, what is it? A low income tax credit? Is that yeah, what Yeah, low it is? income housing tax credit. Yes. Low income housing tax mm-hmm. credit. And so there's extra requirements. So that's probably something you're saying, eh, probably 
someone else is going to take that as opposed yeah. to you. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. absolutely. And there's a, a lot more reporting and uh, getting the tenants in and getting them qualified is not the hard part on those. Mm -hmm. It's all of the financial accounting reporting on the back end. Okay. Um, gotcha. That, that just becomes really onerous. So, you know, we don't do that at this point. It's not to say that we won't in the future if the opportunities arise and we have the, the team to do it. Frankly, some of our property managers have experience being the PM, but not doing the accounting work. Okay. That sort of stuff. So, you know, that would be a situation where I'd say, no, no, this is probably something that's not not up our alley. Okay. Got it. Okay. Let me pause for a second, right? Because I, you've helped us a bunch and we've got a little bit more insight to, to the property management world. And in our side, we're always curious to find out, you know, a lot of the stuff is mindset and you're the entrepreneur, you're the business owner, you are growing like crazy during a tough year, right? So, you know, in that mindset, you know, of going from 100 your original goal was 200-ish doors and you got to 600. What were some of the biggest challenges, obstacles that you had to overcome and how did you do it? Hello, hello. You're listening to the Five Talents Podcast. I'm your host, Abel Pacheco. If you're enjoying this podcast, then I know you're serious about achieving financial freedom. Are you ready to create your own path through multifamily investing for yourself and your family? then I know you're gonna appreciate our investor's guide to multifamily investing. It's titled Tackling Commercial Real Estate the Easy Way. We use this guide to invest ourselves in $93 million worth of real estate. So we're gonna show you the basic mechanics of multifamily syndications and how to evaluate your next passive investment opportunity. So the best part, if you subscribe to our podcast now, leave us a review and a rating. I'm going to give you a free copy of our ebook. So please take a moment to do that now. Once you've done that, go to 5tcre.com forward slash ebook, 5tcre.com forward slash ebook. Make sure to let us know you left a review and we're going to send you a free copy. So thank you so much for subscribing to the Five Talents Podcast. We really appreciate it. Yeah. I, so some of the biggest obstacles has just been staffing. You know, I started the year with myself and one other property manager and, you know, a couple of maintenance guys. And now we've got four or five property managers, a um, property manager supervisor, our maintenance coordinator, seven maintenance guys. And then our construction company has nine, you know, nine field guys in it. Right. So we've, you know, that's all been new. So just, just the staffing up and building, building the team has been, one of our biggest struggles, right? And not necessarily a struggle, but just an obstacle to overcome, which we have and, you know, bringing in staff and, you know, reaching outside of our initial network. We hired a lot of people from within our network through referrals that we already knew. So we're bringing in people then, okay, they're going to be a fit for our culture and that sort of thing. That's That's been a big, big if, but, you know, we've had a lot of really great hires. So I don't regret any of them at this point. Oh yeah, that's good. Well, I'm glad you don't re regret hiring anybody. You you got some probably great staff if if you guys have been able to ramp up, scale scale up, and you know have a lot of success. And so, what does the future hold for you, my friend? What, what next? Uh, so one thing that we're really focusing on is refining our processes so that we can deliver the best product to the owners and the tenants. Frankly, at at the end of the day, because you know, if the owners aren't happy, we we aren't in business. And if tenants don't want to stay in, then, then we're in a, in a pretty bad spot as well. But we know that our goal is to elevate property management to the next level, to take it from a mom and pop operation to a professional 
industry. And there are other professional operators out there. I am by no means the only one trying to make this industry better, but there's a lot of them that give the bad rap, like I was saying earlier. So our goal is to continue to refine our process to document our processes further and you know, systematize everything so that we can deliver a great product to the owners that brings a lot of value. You know, continuing to refine that process and then, you know, hopefully, you know, hitting some pretty big numbers next year as well, focusing on taking on some uh, larger complexes, Uh, you know, still more than happy to take on the smaller ones, but, you know, just wanting to, you know, some new challenges and additional variety as well. All right. Yeah. I like the mindset of taking it to professionalism, making sure tenants are good. If your tenants are happy, they're going to stay. If they stay, your, your owners are happy. So the professionalism and just trying to, you know, do, do right by others all the way through the process. It's, it is a virtuous cycle when mm-hmm. we can partner together with a great property manager and, you know, we, we crush it, they crush it and our, our tenants are happy. Our residents are like, yeah, this is like a home, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. You mentioned document and systematize. Maybe you can elaborate on that. What, what does that mean? Yeah, so you know, just like with a lot of different industries, there is a um, a tenant, I guess a tenant, a client cycle, if you will. You bring somebody in, you know, you have that relationship with them, and then the relationship ends. So, how can we make every step in that process as clean and as you know simple as possible, right? But it's tight, you know, that we're not wasting a bunch of time doing something wrong. We're doing what needs to be done. We're documenting it efficiently through our PM software, through our leases whatever that needs to be. Maintenance is getting taken care of. They're reporting within our systems accurately, giving the information so that invoices that then go to the owners reflect accurately what was done. Systematizing everything so that we know what the steps are when we get on board a new owner, whether Mm -hmm. it's a single family or it's a hundred units, you know, a lot of the steps are the same. And the major difference for us on that is going to be how many units we have to put into our property management system at the end of the day, right? Because getting all the owner's information, getting that in, getting it right so that we can, you know, track their 1099 information. We can distribute funds quickly to the right account. Just all those steps that you might not think about, but need to be done right so that the owner has a good experience. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So from your perspective, what's the hallmark of a great property management company? (laughs) Oh, that's a great question. You know, communication is going to be a lot of it. And then, you know, bringing value to the owner at the end of the day, even if their communication's not the best, which, you know, you want their communication to be the best. But if I were to be an owner, I would take a PM that didn't communicate as much, but was driving value on the property level, increasing the rents, decreasing operational expenses, finding additional value within that property to make it perform and exceed my pro forma. Yeah. I think I'd rather have that impactful property manager over, <laughs> over uh, more communication. Uh, if I had to choose one, I want them both, but I think yeah, you're right. Want them both. As opposed to somebody who's Johnny on the spot with an email or a phone call whenever mm-hmm. I need them, but numbers are horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's, you know, we want to be good at all of those. Right. And, yeah. and we do stress that internally that, Hey, these owners, we understand a lot of times, this is their biggest financial investment possibly outside of their house or bigger than their house. Even, even if it just has a single family home, since I was once that investor, I can know where they're coming from that if they have a bad collections month that has financial ramifications on them. Yeah. But since I've partnered and done some small type syndication work, 
I understand where the syndicators are and saying, hey, I need more information because I've got to report to other people and I might only have $50,000 in this deal, but they've got $250,000 in this deal. So they're looking to me for answers. So we need to be able to communicate efficiently and effectively what, what they need to know. I agree. I agree on those, those fronts too. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I think about how much money I have invested in a single family house versus one of our deals, you know, these, like you said, I never really thought about it. These are way bigger than my single family properties that I'm investing in, you know, my capital. And so it's like, man, it's absolutely it's got to do well. And, you know, if it's, if I only have one, you know, small property, my asset management fee or my, my income, my NOI or whatever may be paying my bills if this is how I'm investing and, and living off of it. Mm-hmm. And if the rent collections are not great that month, it's like, oh, you have a different take on it, even if you're a solo investor, find a smaller yeah. deal. So that makes sense. The communication side of it, we absolutely need your help if things are not going yeah. as smooth as they want to. So full yeah. disclosure and give us the insight and then we'll shape it how we need to shape it, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I mean, we have RPMs with certain owners that have weekly standing calls, you know, especially on heavy reposition properties, but even ones that yeah. are that are operating, you know, just kind of operating. Hey, what are the updates for this week? You know, just let us know what's going on so that they have a pulse so that they can report. And if we have any issues come up, then we can address them together with the owner and figure out what the solution is. Yeah, this is good. Good insight, Colin. Thank you very much. Yeah. And all the all the properties that you're on today, where do you see the owners that have the most success? You and them together. Mm-hmm. What are the owners doing for you? How are you guys partnered together on the deals that you're having the most success or making the most money together? Does that make sense? Not not, okay, not micromanaging. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, yeah, elaborate. You know, I, I mean, at, at the insight. end of the day, like we are professionals, right? You hire an accountant to do what an accountant does. Yep. Now you can ask them why does this doing this way, but you and you trust their judgment, right? You hire an attorney, you hire an engineer, you hire whatever professional service that may be because they have the expertise. Now, I will say that people do understand probably some aspects more of property management than maybe they would engineering or accounting or a lawyer. Okay, sure. But, you know, at the end of the day, if especially if you're out of state, we have our team. I can only speak to our team. We want what's in the best interest for you. We want your property to rent quickly and we want to stay occupied. We want your rents to be as high as possible because we're working off a percentage of rent collected. So for us, if your unit's vacant or we under rent it, we're leaving money on the table every month as well. So our goals are aligned with yours financially, especially, you know, so don't micromanage the PM. Don't, don't hamstring them. I don't want to talk bad about any of my investors because I do value all of them, but sometimes we get put in positions where it's like, why, why are we doing this for a negligible financial savings, but a lot more headache and coordination? Yeah. Like, you know, like we're, what are the couple of those things that you see? Like Abel, don't do this to my property manager <laughs> on my properties. What, what are the cost saving areas that just don't make a lot of sense? Don't buy used appliances two states away because you live there and then drive them here when we can buy used appliances here. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of extra work for like it, it does. And then by the time we charge appliance or something, by the time we charge you guys labor for storing and moving and installing, yeah, we probably are coming out within 5% of that whole cost. 
uh, you know, which I'd rather probably have you, you know, take care of the work orders, treat the tenants better, find a way to help the tenants or renters, you know, and some extra time and, and make the property nicer as opposed to saving a little bit here and there. Okay. Yeah. That, yeah but good, you know, like example. I can't say if, if that 5% means a lot to somebody else, then I mean, I can't tell them no, but I mean, I would just say, you know, don't yeah. micromanage your, your property managers, you know, if they're failing at their job and they need to have a boot put where the sun don't shine and you need to get on them, then, then get on them. Right. Mm-hmm. And, as we have learned, I cannot say, I can't look you in the eye and say, we've never made a mistake, right? We've made mistakes as a property manager. We all do. And we've had owners, you know, say, hey, this isn't good or this needs to be better, but we don't make the same mistake twice. Right. Yeah. And we, okay, we're like, you're, you know what? You're 100% right. Looking at it from your side, looking back at it, this wasn't handled the way it should have been handled. We won't do it again. We get it corrected and we move forwards. And sometimes you do need to, you know, have that discussion with a property manager, just like you would any other service industry contract yeah. or whatever you want to call it. Right. That's all the, all that relationship is that way, but don't repeat the same mistakes also. Yeah. I love it. Those are good insights, Colin. And thank you very much. This, it illuminates a, a different perspective and, you know, say thank you. So on the mindset of illumination, like what are some areas that you see some owners, they just, they're not doing the things that, you know, man, from your perspective, they would absolutely crush it. If they just did X, Y, and Z, you know, you know, we have a lot of really good owners and we filter them, uh, you know, if we can. And so they do a lot of really good things and keeping their properties up to date. You know, the biggest one is going to be keeping your property, you know, up to date and so we can maximize rents on it. And you have a nice looking property, you get better tenants, you have better tenants, you have better collections, less issues, less security deposit work. Less fill in the blank bad stuff that could happen. So, you know, the thing I would say is we see owners sometimes that might not want to invest in their property and that can be hard. Yeah. Uh, you know, with our voucher properties, we understand what a voucher property is and what it isn't. And so we don't expect those to have all the nicest amenities in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with our market rate tenants, we want it to be a nice property that we are proud to manage, that you are proud to own, and the tenant is proud to live in. Even, you know, but, you know, we understand depending on what part of town it's in, we might not need to put granite in every property. So don't overbuild it, but don't let it float by with 30-year gold carpet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Get some nice basics. So you're basic, saying the, ba- yeah. the absolute basic. Get some yeah. vinyl plank flooring in there and, mm-hmm. and resurface some countertops. And if they Toilets cruddy and get it out of there. I guess. <laughs> okay, yeah. very good. The basics, man. So we can't overlook the foundation of how we have a value add because, mm-hmm. you know, when you take a look at the financials, you know, basically Collins, if I looked at a number and said, hey, we can raise the rents 50 bucks and there's 100 units. Well, I'm going to take 100 units. I'm going to multiply by $50. That's 5,000 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to multiply that by 12 months, the $60,000 a year. And if I divide that by, let's just say a six cap, I don't know where you're at and, you know, mm-hmm. in, in this market or whatever, but you know, that's anywhere, you know, 700, 800, 900 grand. Oh, I did six and a half cap. It was 900 K. If it was yeah. a five, it'd be $60,000 divided by 5%. Dude, I don't even want to look at that. It's like 1 million bucks or something yeah. dumb. So you're like, that's why you spend five grand a unit mm-hmm. at a hundred units 
That's why this $500,000, you know, kind of expense comes out because you're trying to make 1 million, trying to double yeah. your money, right? Yeah. But, you know, we understand, I understand, and I have, you know, let my team see through my eyes as an investor because they manage my properties as well. <laughs> yeah. Listen, there might not be money in the budget for these repairs, right? Yeah. So how are you structuring and then this is getting into some high levels. How are you structuring your debt? How are your cash reserves for making these upgrades? Get a few quotes before you get started and don't take your property manager's word on how much it's going to cost. My partner on the construction side, Adam, like, I'm like, I don't quote construction estimates anymore. I'm like, let's talk to Adam. And Adam's numbers are always spot on, you know, from when he walks the property and you know mine aren't so i'm like listen i don't i don't quote it i let adam quote the construction so you can know what you're going to be getting into but we understand you know if you don't have the cash reserves and you're not on a construction loan you're having to cash flow those rehabs and that can be painful i've had to do that before personally that hurts your cash flow but i would say if you can afford to cash flow rehabs if you're in the situation where you don't have cash reserves or a construction loan to get your occupancy up to get higher rents like that's that's probably the wise way to do it because if you're adding that million dollars in value to the property, $500,000 in value, you might not have that cash flow for the first 12, 24 months. But when you sell the property or refinance the property, you can recoup it at the end of those 36 months, you know, when yeah. the occupancy is up and you've got some really good cash flow. So Colin pointing out this from a property management perspective is the exact same pain and headache as an owner that you will find yourself in. He's just, you know, it's a just different side of the coin because when you're underwriting your deal, make sure that you raise enough capital for the property improvements, the capital expenses, uh, capital improvements, the deferred maintenance, the interior unit renovations, because if you don't do that and you try to make those renovations with your cash flow, you're going to put your property manager in a situation where they know what needs to be done, but a word he used earlier, hamstrung, you're going to hamstring them and he's not, they're not going to be able to do what they need to do to create enough value for you. So don't ever get into a deal for those listening where you we don't have the budget, the dollars raised in advance to do those improvements that you need to. And then also heard, you know, the expertise of the property manager, Colin, which is, Hey, you maybe have missed a couple of the the expenses that owners had to plan for. So, you know, just like we do, I rely on an expert to kind of help me with some of this. Colin, even in his business, hey, who's the expert? Adam is the expert. He never misses. So rely on the expert. And then you're asking them in advance, hey, when I'm underwriting this deal, you've, you know, he helped me look at it. Mm -hmm. How do you think it'll be run? Right. And so, you know, I don't give them a generic square foot cost, you know, hey. Based upon these units, you should plug in 15 bucks a square foot and we'll get them up to market rate and we'll get some flooring and some paint in here. You know, going back to your what don't owners understand. Yeah. This is one that surprised us. Regional construction costs, how different they can be. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. from us here in Kansas City to Denver Mm -hmm. is very different. We're much more expensive than Denver are than Denver is. Mm. You know, we shop our prices, we try to bring in subs, see if we can save some money globally, and we're it's, you know, regional construction cost differences. Even though we had one guy, he was uh, down in Texas. He was like, well, this is the light fixture you're putting in. I find it at Home Depot for this much. Why are you telling me it's this much? We bring up Home Depot for Kansas City and we're like, it's this much in Kansas City. Like, yeah. I, I don't I don't know what to tell you. Like, you know, if regionally construction booms are going on somewhere, it's mm-hmm. going to be more expensive. And, you mm-hmm. know, 
frankly, the legality of your people on site doing the work can also play a factor, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So. That's a good, good insight. Well, Colin, thank you very much because you've illuminated some of the stuff that's it's very helpful for myself or other listeners. And I think just good to have a an insight level set for me every once in a while. Hey, these are the things you should be concerned about. And, and for a property manager, because I want you to have success and we all want to do well. So anyways, but is there anything I, I didn't touch on today? Anything that you wanted you know, to cover to bring some exposure to that I didn't quite hit on today? Not that I can think of. We covered a lot of a lot about property management. You know, we are a, you know, essentially a contractor to the owners, but we are also a partner because we have aligned financial goals. You know, you bring in a, you know, a carpet cleaner, they're a contractor, their goal is to get it cleaned as quickly as possible and get the money. We are in a longer term relationship with aligned financial goals. So, you know, the property manager, at the end of the day, unless they're a poor property manager, they're not going to be your enemy. They're they're your teammate. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you very much. And Colin, so Kansas City, if anybody has a property, you know, within your area, you know who to reach out to. But where do I go? How do I get in contact with you? Who are you looking for? You know, maybe maybe share all this with us so the right people reach out to you. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you can find our websites www.atlas.rentals. And you can find me, Colin Douthit, or Atlas Property Management on LinkedIn. It's probably a really good way to get a hold of us at this point. And then, you know, who are we looking for? We are looking for investors. Most of our investors are out of state at this point. That's who our, you know, our ideal client is. Value add if they want it, you know, with construction in-house, we streamline a lot of those processes for the owners, you know, but we're working with, you know, turnkey properties as well. So out-of-state investors that, that are looking to grow their portfolio in Kansas City, we'd love to help them out. All right. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. I've had a good, good, fun conversation, man. And I, and thanks for jumping on the show. Thanks for having me, Abel. I enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Abel Pacheco. I'm your host for the Five Talents Podcast. We really appreciate the time. And if you heard something that was valuable today, we would love you to subscribe to the show, give us a rating and leave a written review it would be amazing. So thank you very much for everything you do. And I'll see you on our next show. Thanks a lot, Colin. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Five Talents Podcast with your host, myself, Abel Pacheco. Each week, we're going to bring you interviews from industry experts and commercial real estate investors who followed their dreams and achieved massive success. Before you leave, let me ask you a few questions. Did you enjoy this episode? Did you learn something valuable? Was your mind stretched to what's possible and what you can achieve? Do you want other experts just like the one you heard today? If you answered yes to any or all of those questions, then please take a moment to subscribe to the Five Talents Podcast. Give us a five-star rating. And most importantly, leave us a written review. Tell us what you liked. Tell us your favorite guests. Give us any feedback. I'm excited to learn and improve so you can get a more valuable show. So thank you again for subscribing to the Five Talents Podcast.